0: Together we are going to look at the Word of God again this Lord's Day morning. If you will open your copy of Scripture in Matthew chapter 9, as you know, if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, we've been working our way through uh, this book penned by the Apostle Matthew, one of our Lord's disciples, one of the 12. Matthew chapter 9 is where we pick up this morning in verse 32. Uh, we land in that, on that verse and down to verse 34. Nine, chapter 9 verses 32-34 they read as follows as they were going out a mute demon possessed man was brought to him after the demon was cast out the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed and were saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel but the Pharisees were saying he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons I use a subject for these verses uh, this morning, responding to the miracle-working power of Messiah. Jesus' display of supernatural power was evidence of who he is, the divine Messiah. Also, as Matthew pins in one twenty-three, Emmanuel, God with us. There was no realm in creation where Jesus' authority and power did not prevail. Period. Full stop. Commentator, theologian, George Eldon Ladd, put it this way. Jesus spoke and demons fled. Storms were settled. The dead were raised. Sins forgiven. His authority and deeds was nothing less than the presence of the kingdom of God, end of quote. The kingdom of God was embodied in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is Messiah. He is God. In the verses before us, Matthew shows three responses to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first response we will label responding by faith. I read the verse a moment ago, and as they were going out, a mute, a demon-possessed man was brought to him. The first response to Jesus' power and authority was motivated by faith, an unquestioned faith in Jesus to do what only he could do. An unquestioned faith in his omnipotence over whatever the problem, the circumstance, the situation happened to be. As the narrative unfolds, we see Jesus' power displayed without any drama, without any fanfare. you notice it just says in verse 33, after the demon was cast out. Simple declaration of the reality of Jesus having exercised this powerful being from this man who was possessed. Back at verse 32, it says, as they were going out, possibly referring to the two blind men that Jesus had just healed. It was a mute man, a demon possessed man was brought to Jesus. Now, you need to understand something about this man. He was in a a dreadful state. He was inhabited by a demon who had robbed him of the power of speech. We know from this text and other ones that demons have the ability to afflict people with disability. For instance, later in this book, Matthew, chapter 12, verse 22. In addition to muteness, blindness. It's one of the afflictions that a demon could inflict upon a hapless human being. In, chapter, in Mark chapter 9, around verse 25, we know the story about a demon who rendered a child a deaf mute. But not only did that, alternately, he threw him into the fire and into the water, seeking to destroy the child. Demons are hostile to human beings. They hate God, they hate Christ, and they hate us demons are fallen angels they are ones who followed satan in his rebellion against almighty god and demons have this ability under the sovereignty of god to inflict pain and sorrow and suffering upon people now scripture you need to understand this makes a distinction between illness and disease illness and disease that is naturally caused, and those that are a result of demon activity, evil supernaturalism. And by the way, I think it's important for us to recognize something here. We know that Satan and demons exist because of the word of God. We know they exist because God has declared that they do. His word is authoritative regarding their nature, their activity, and their destiny. If you want to know what angels are like, unfallen and fallen, look to the word of God. It is the only source that gives us accurate, inerrant, authoritative pronouncements about these beings whom we cannot see, whom we cannot touch, but who exist, who are supernatural, who are evil, who hate God, hate Christ, and hate the church. The Bible is our source to know about them. Now, the demon-possessed mute man was brought to Jesus, and I said it earlier, he was brought to him, Jesus, by faith. Their response was by faith. Now, you say, how do you know that? There is no explicit statement saying that they had faith in Jesus. You look in vain in the text where the word faith is not there. But their action Implied that they believed Jesus could free a man from demon power and as a consequence restore his ability to talk. The friend's implied faith is seen in their action. The fact that they brought the man to Jesus indicated they believed that Jesus could heal the man. And this is not dissimilar to the friends of the paralytic. Remember the paralyzed man who was bedridden? And brought to Jesus. Remember, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus, it says there in that passage, seeing their faith. Now, they didn't say, Jesus, we believe in you. Their actions demonstrated that they believed in him. No doubt the people in this text were like that. They believed in Jesus' absolute authority over demons. And where did they get this understanding? I think it's pretty obvious. If you've been with us through Matthew, you know that Jesus had healed a multitude of people from demon possession. And if you lived in Capernaum, you no doubt heard that. You understood that Jesus has been healing people, and we know we're demon-possessed. We know we're afflicted. And they heard the stories. They heard the healings. They had understood and perhaps even seen Jesus' of power demonstrated in expelling demons and healing diseases. And this, the knowledge of who he is and what he could do was rampant throughout Capernaum. And having heard it, perhaps even seen it, perhaps even known someone uh, who had been delivered by Jesus Christ who was the thing that uh, built their faith and helped them to trust him to do this for their mute friend or family member. Now, you'll notice something here in verse 33. We don't know what was said between verse 32 and verse 33, and it doesn't matter. You know, the white spaces don't give us any information. But it just simply says, in the A portion of verse 33, after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. In fact, the uh, evidence of the exorcism exorcism of the demon was that the man regained the power to speak that was evidence that the man was freed from this evil power that he was no longer under the possession under the control of evil supernaturalism I think this picture's this picture's spiritual condition of the unsaved. May I put it like this. The Bible says in First John chapter 5 that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He controls unsaved people and they cannot escape unless the power of God comes in salvation. They are under Satan's dominion every unsaved person in the world every unsaved person anywhere you see them they're in the grip the power of satan they're in his kingdom and they cannot free themselves unless god frees them when they come to faith in jesus christ by the way that was our condition before we came to faith in christ you would say oh no 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 satan didn't have any dominion over me yes he did the Bible says it. We followed him. We did what he wanted. We were under his power until God, through Christ, freed us and removed us from his kingdom and placed us in the kingdom of his dear son. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the truth about your condition before Christ and what it is now. We've been set free. This man was set free from this demonic inhabitation. So his friends responded to Jesus. That's one response, they responded to Jesus by faith, bringing this man to him. The second, the second uh, response is responding with amazement. Verse 33, and you can see it there, beginning at, I guess we could call it the B part, part and the crowds were amazed, and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel they saw the miracle working power of the Lord Jesus Christ and it astonished them it astounded them they were in awe it's unprecedented in their view and I think they're right here's the son of God here's Emmanuel here's Messiah here's God in the second person God the son walking the earth incarnate deity And he's delivering people. They were not simply, I don't believe, referring to the solitary miracle that our text deals with. I think they were awed by the cumulative effect of the miraculous healings that they had seen previously. Number one, remember the woman earlier in this passage who had a hemorrhage, a bleed, bleeding for 12 long years? And Jesus healed her. Remember Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, Jairus' synagogue official. Jesus raised her from the dead. Remember the two blind men. Jesus opened their eyes. Can you imagine that? Seeing these miracles back to back like this, boom, boom, boom. These people are being delivered. It creates an amazement, astonishment. Seeing the mighty power of Jesus Christ at work. Jesus' miracles, get this, were intended to show men that he is Messiah. We saw this in Matthew chapter 11 verses 3 through 5. That he is the anointed one whom God sent to deliver not simply from disease, not simply from demons, but from the hell damning power of sin. Messiah. To be simply amazed by Jesus' power, and I want you to get this, is insufficient. It's not enough. It's not enough just to be amazed at Jesus Christ. Our text indicates that these people who were amazed did not move beyond their astonishment or being awed to placing their faith in Jesus Christ. But we have other texts that show people can see Jesus' miracles and not trust him to save them. There were people like that all over Israel. John chapter 6, verses 26 through 27. Just think about this. They saw Jesus' power multiplying food, as one man said. Remember, he fed the 5,000, right? You remember that? He divided The bread and fed people. One of my favorite preachers, my wife and I, Dr. E.K. Baylor, who's now with the Lord, said he'd never known anybody who could multiply by dividing. (laughs) Think about it: dividing that bread and multiplying it. The miraculous power of Jesus. Now, you could imagine the 5,000 men plus the women and children. They're being fed supernaturally, miraculously. And they're thinking, wow, this is great. Let's follow Jesus. We get a free meal every single day. Jesus chided them, I I said last week, because they were following him uh, for food's sake, not spiritually. Also, people can be fickle, very fickle about Jesus. On the Monday preceding his death, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowds were praising him. Hosanna! Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a triumphal entry, as it's called, as he's going in Jerusalem the week of his death. Matthew chapter twenty-one, eight and nine. But by Friday, the same week, having been persuaded by the false religious leaders that Jesus was going against established Judaism, they turned against him. They turned on a dime. They praise him in the first part of the week, at the end of the week, uh, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It is not enough to simply be impressed with Jesus. It's not enough to admire his teaching and applaud his character. One must submit to him in repentant faith as Lord and Savior. There are a lot of people who have said, we admire him, he's a great teacher he's a great moral example you can think all of that that will not get you in a right relationship with god you must trust him so that response was simply one of amazement the third response to the miracle working power of messiah found in verse 34 responding with opposition it comes from the religious leaders the pharisees you see it there in verse 34 they were the religious leaders of israel they had previous to this accused jesus of blasphemy. Remember when he forgave sins in Matthew chapter 9, verse 3? They said, Who is this to forgive sins? So they, they were blaspheming him. Later, they criticized him for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Recall that? Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. But they escalated and elevated uh, their words to the level of blasphemy here when it says, But the Pharisees were saying he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. They hated Jesus. He exposed the hypocrisy, Matthew chapter 5, and explained that Judaism works, Judaism's works righteousness for salvation was false religion. Later, their hatred, the Pharisees' hatred of Jesus manifested itself in plotting to kill him, John chapter 11, verse 53. They hated the Lord Jesus Christ, and they wanted him dead. Now, let's look here at verse 34 and you see something. He cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. First thing we recognize here is that they understood that a miracle took place. The evidence was plain to see. They couldn't miss it. It was right there before their eyes, just like that Chinese balloon over our country. (laughs) <laughs> it was obvious to everybody. He's affirming, yes, he, com- he did a miracle. They recognized there's a supernatural event that took place from his enemies, people who wanted him dead, people who hated him. Boy, is that not good evidence that Jesus did what the Bible says he did when your enemies say, yeah, that happened. They didn't deny Jesus' miracles, but they were saying repeatedly, in fact, uh, that's what when it's, those words were saying. It's in the imperfect tense in the original language. They repeatedly were saying, uh, he was doing this by the ruler of the demons. The source of his power was from Satan, is what they're saying. They were saying that Jesus was in league with the devil. This is awful stuff to say that Jesus Christ God himself is working with the devil is a height of blasphemy on the contrary Jesus taught that his miraculous works were given to him to do by God the Father in fact his miraculous works were given to him by God the Father to testify to who Jesus is John chapter 5 verse 36 Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 verse 28 that they were done by the spirit of God. Given to him by the Father and done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, to say that uh, Jesus was doing his miracles by the ruler of the demons, Satan, was patently absurd look with me if you will Matthew chapter 12 Matthew chapter 12 eventually we will get to this text and expound it in its entirety but for now Matthew chapter 12 verse 25 when they uh, in our our, our text that we're reading this morning we're studying from this morning they lodged that uh, charge against Jesus, and they kept repeating it. they never let that go and they here they are doing it again matthew twelve twenty five, and knowing their thoughts after the accusation you find in the previous verses succeeding a uh, talk of a miracle it says, and knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste.' And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Jesus saying, you'd accuse me of doing what I do by Satan's powers. Absurd. Why would Satan do that? He wouldn't wittingly undermine his own kingdom. That's Absurd. Jesus pointed that out. Third, what the Pharisees says was a lie. They were like their spiritual father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. He doesn't stand in truth for there is no truth in him, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44. James Montgomery Boyce, who died in the year 2000, Writes about the accusation against Jesus in these words. Listen to this. I do not know which despot king or president first invented the big lie. But it certainly has been known and practiced for a long time. Boy says the big lie means if you repeat a lie loudly enough and often enough, people will believe you. Did you not know that? Dr. Boyce cites a historical example, or examples. He says, Nero used the big lie to finger Christians for the fire that destroyed Rome. Adolf Hitler used it when he blamed Germany's post-World War I economic troubles on the Jews. End of quote. The Pharisees. (laughs) all the way back there. They used the big lie to denounce Jesus' power as coming from the devil. Let me tell you something about the Pharisees. Those religious people were indeed the ones who were in collusion with Satan. Satan. Matthew chapter 23. That is the passage that we find where Jesus confronts them, scribes and Pharisees. He pronounces a woe upon them, curse. He excoriates him the strongest words of Jesus against sinners. Men who hated him, men who refused the truth, men who were leading others away from the gospel, away from truth, away from salvation, received from Jesus the strongest denunciations found in the Bible. Matthew chapter 23. It's the place I would like for us to look. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Jesus characterized Pharisees as sons of hell, meaning belonging to hell and destined for hell. His words even are stronger about these individuals. You can run down to verse 33 you serpents you brood of vipers how will you escape the sentence of hell they can't because they reject the only way to get out of hell is through faith in Jesus Christ and they refuse him there is no escape for them now let me let me say something here apply this Please don't be a foolish Christian and thinking that somehow God's going to accept all religions. He does not. Don't please do not think being religious equates with being saved. There are a lot of people who are very religious. They have external religion, but their hearts have not been changed those people will not be accepted by god in fact they are abomination to god and he will because of who they are he will sentence them to hell jesus says it don't be fooled no false religion can save all religions except christianity Orthodox Christianity condemns a person to hell. All religious cults, even those who think they're Christian, perversions of Christianity, condemn people to hell. They're false. Don't cozy up with people because they have some religion. Would y'all do me a favor? I have an article on our Facebook page exclusivity of Christ. Y'all need to read that. Read something. It'll help you. If you haven't read it, go go read it, okay? It'll help you. <laughs> you want the truth. Amen. Don't be suckered by the notion that's abounding in our land today that God accepts all Religious. No, he does not. No false religion can save. No false religion can sanctify. There's no power in a false religion to change a person inwardly. Only the truth of Christ can do that. only the gospel can save and sanctify. And you want the truth. You know something about the Pharisees? They had the truth. They heard it f- lips from God incarnate. They saw the truth with their own eyes and they rejected the truth. And what they receive now in eternity is what they deserve. Jesus said on one occasion, if you're not with me, you're against me. There's no middle ground. Either you're with Jesus or you're against him. Whose side are you on? If you're a Christian, you're on Jesus' side. If you're not a Christian, you're against Jesus. You say, well, I don't have anything against Jesus. Yes, you do, because you're refusing him. You're saying no to him. Are you with him or against him? There's evidence in the word of God, and we call you to come to the faith in the Savior, who alone can save you. H- Amen. 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 Let's bow together in prayer. Our God and our Father, we bless and praise your holy name for providing salvation through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save and will save anyone who is repentant, who will believe in the Lord Jesus, who died a sacrificial death on the cross, bearing the sin of all who would believe bearing your wrath against sin for all who would believe reconciling all who would believe we pray you save those who will believe today may they turn from their sin turn to Christ we pray you do it for your glory and for their eternal welfare may they escape the sentence of hell by your gracious action may they refuse Satan's lie embrace Christ's truth we pray for those who are saved but are unchurched they need a place where they can grow and serve and use their spiritual gifts all of that uh, we pray you work in them and add them to here to this day Lord we thank you for the truth because it comes from you it liberates sinners when they trust Christ. It builds up saints as they hear it and obey it and apply it. May you be glorified in the remainder of our time together today in, in the life of your people of this fellowship as we live out your truth and proclaim it. And we ask in the name of Christ, amen. We have two people standing here as you can see.